to the Quarantine Players Podcast. We are a group of writers, directors, and actors who had our productions canceled due to the pandemic. Each week, we'll read a new play and discuss it with a playwright, just like Shakespeare. We aspire to create new work during a global pandemic. Welcome to the Quarantine Players. My name is AJ Campbell, and I'm so glad you can join us. Tonight, we are reading Ian Tal's play, The Second Annual Administration Building Takeover and Slumber Party. This is a play about flashbacks and remembrances. 
the younger characters are in their second year of their annual takeover of the administration building. They are also looking back on their first year's takeover. Their older selves are looking back on their college days for new truths. No one seems to be living in the present. Let's meet the Playing, reading both parts of children. Uh, Migs? Gail Grimes, I'm reading the older Migs. Tammy Peters, I'm playing the uh, younger Migs. Linda? I'm Larissa Norris, I'm playing younger Linda. I'm Christine Tankersley, and I'm playing older Linda. Alec? Um, I'm Shane Gardner, playing young Alec. I'm Vincent Calhoun, playing the older Alec. And Barry? I'm Barry Alguire, and I'm reading the stage directions. Are we ready to begin? Yes, we are. All right. From scene to scene, the characters alternate between university students in their teenage years or early 20s and adults in their 40s reminiscing about their younger days. Actors of either age range can play characters in both, of both ages. Alternately, two sets of actors, one playing the older version of the characters, the other playing the younger version may be used. And that is the format we have chosen for tonight. The stage will serve as Meeg's home office and any eating or drinking establishment that the characters patronize in their 40s, as well as the lobby of a university administration building and the offices of the student newspaper, The Brick, which they inhabit in their younger years. And we are ready to begin. Scene one, Meeg's, an eccentric woman in her 40s, enters carrying an archive box. It's filled with decades-old issues of a newspaper called The Brick. Oh, the good old brick. Now, I'm a collector, not a hoarder. I, I'm too deliberate. An archivist, I am. Always archive. Preserve for prosperity. I know where everything is. I can find it all eventually. My daughter, Jude, like me, she has a Z. Born to my family, I made her myself. In school now, attending my alma mater. Now she's joined my tribe, so pardon my nostalgia. Oh, yeah. this rag I ran for a year or two. Split the difference, say a year and a half. Oh, yeah, this is the special crisis issue. January 28th, 1990 something something. Yeah, let us not utter that final digit for vanity's sake. It's morning, the lobby of the campus administration building. <clears throat> Sometime in the last decade of the 20th century, Though I may be forced to be more forthcoming in the future, I shall not state the year. About nine months before we publish this issue, on one of the smaller, less conventional campuses of the State University system, let us call it an alternative school, though they would never so brand it as such today. 
a motley band of students occupied their school's administration building to protest a state legislator created budget crisis. A collection of students, young Jonah, young Linda, and young Alec among them entered. They carried backpacks and satchels filled with the things they thought they might need and empty of much of what they would need. Some had done this before, so they should have known better. At least they knew to bring blankets and pillows. They planned to stay overnight. Meigs grabs at some of her own materials and joins the others. I was among them. The campus, a modernist dream rendered in brick and reinforced concrete, had been built on a track of land that had once been pastures since it had been donated to the state. The administration building was a repurposed estate house, which along with the stone fences and a family cemetery behind the museum were remnants of that history. This was decades ago. Today, the administration hunkers down in one of the newest buildings on campus. I'm not sure how to categorize it. Neo-modernist, re-modernist, Nothing as exciting as deconstructiveness, neo-futurist, or structural expressionism. I'm no architectural critic. I'm sure that it's not well <clears throat> suited for the purposes we were putting the old building to. What if things were to go sideways and riot police decided to storm the entrance? Not that this would happen. I know my school, just not my schools. It wasn't our first time doing this. And as experienced building occupiers, we knew to take newsprint and craft paper over the glass so that no one could peer in for a head count. Jonah Gringer, reporting for duty for the second annual administration building takeover. He speaks truthfully. His name is Jonah. At the time, he was one of the smartest kids I had ever met. Not so much as an adult. Also a lunatic. Then, yes. Now, eh, not so much. He is destined to dabble in architectural criticism, so we shall consult with him later. Are you sure it's a second annual? This is Linda. A, a lunatic now as then. I swear a constant loon. I was here last year. So were you. I was also there the year before. Oh, <laughs> forgot to tell you my name. My friends call me Meeks with a Z, like the name of my future daughter. Uh, what I want you to call me, I have not decided. Maybe there was an administration building takeover before the one we were in. Maybe, but eventually seniors graduate their folklore, either unchronicled or unread, ending a literature search. Oh, who has time for that? Let us tentatively call this event Administration Building Takeover X plus two, with X being a number of hypothetically prior takeovers. Last year's would be Administration Building Takeover X plus one. And X stands for extra, experimental, and X-rated. 
I propose is that we solve for x. Maybe historians will assign them all names in our posterity. Historians will name our posteriors? They can call mine Alice. <clears throat> Perhaps I wasn't paying attention and we did have one, two years prior to this scene. Perhaps our memories run together. Did I actually hear this exchange or did I merely hear Jonah reenacted after the fact, you know, playing both roles? <sighs> Memory can only be so fidelious. Perhaps he is correct and a literature search is in order. <clears throat> Nine months after this insurrection, these rude mechanicals are reenacting for you, I wrote this. A modern university was founded to further scholarship and innovation, to preserve culture and to impart knowledge. Some opinion mongers and pundits will claim that this mission is endangered by students rising Philistine and pandering professors. But at this juncture, the real threat is the growth of administrative power. Once administration's role was to facilitate the university's mission. Today, we are forced to ask if the university's mission become facilitating an ever-expanding administration? Speaking of mechanicals, I would print the editorial out in columns and tape them into long strip, then with a razor, cut it in the appropriate places and use a glue stick and affix these smaller strips to a paperboard called a mechanical. At clip art, mark where the photographs and illustrations were to be placed. The mechanical would then be sent to the printer to be photographed and transferred to newsprint. The originals were kept in an archive room, you know, really a closet in the offices of the brick. I have no idea if the archive has been preserved or how. If I show this to the kid when she comes home for break, will she think mom's paper-based technology is cool or will she think it's just old? Our process was on the verge of technological obsolescence. <laughs> Allow me to reiterate this mise-en-scene playing out in the past. I didn't expect it to be that easy. We asked them to leave and they left. They have practice from last year. This guy, my younger self is standing next to, oh my, I was so sexy back then and my haven't washed my hair in a week, dressed like a ragamuffin way. Oh, yes. <laughs> they still have it. <laughs> this guy, peering through the windows between the gaps of the paper, is Alex. Note the militant activist chic army surplus clothing. <laughs> Who's army? Does it matter? <sighs> Do they even have army sur surplus stores anymore? Or have they just replaced by militia-style fashion stores? Yeah, this button represents some fuzzy ideological sentiment and oh, that button recalls some obscure lost cause. I expect that Alex probably forgot half the things they represent, assuming he ever knew. 
in my nostalgia for our youth, I realized that uh, we were already nostalgic for another generation's struggles. <sighs> if we had studied history, we might have been horrified. Setting up a PA system. Just like last year. We'll be able to give speeches to the students outside the building. We had bands last time. We'll have bands this time. Where there's a PA, they'll come and play, and others will come and dance. Protest songs, marching songs, songs of solidarity, rock and roll. Who wants to listen to speeches? I just don't want to hear the endless chants of the students united shall never be defeated. It doesn't even rhyme. Is it iambic pentameter? Maybe a dactyl. Critic, I think. Nobody likes a critic, Jonah. It rhymes in the original Spanish. Every insurrection needs a soundtrack. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will be amplified. Rewind, operator. I'm gonna kill him with sound. Get up, stand up. Plastic people of the universe? Of the universe? What's that? Universe? It comes from the Latin... No, the band you just mentioned. They're Czech. I don't know Czech. And so even if I had a translation, I can't say if it's better than the original Czech, but their fans overthrew the government. Whose government? Allies, ye prisoners of starvation. We had this conversation last year, didn't we? Arise, ye wretched of the earth. No, we didn't. I didn't know about the plastics last year. For justice thunders condemnation. I didn't mean that you and I had this exact conversation last time, just that we had this sort of conversation last time. A better, better world than birth. We're in college. This conversation is our daily chat. The lyrics make more sense in the original French. I thought you said they were Czech. I meant l'international. We're so proud of our little Jonah. He's become such a hipster since his freshman year. Polyglot hipster. Oh, wait, forget the playlist. Look, look, drums, trombones, saxophones, flutes, glistening in the morning sun. It's an ad hoc brass band. God bless the music department. Jonah, uh, may I have a word with you? Sure, what's up, Doc? Meeks and Linda peer out the windows as Alec and Jonah talk. Alec, you've done this sort of thing before, haven't you? I was the first inside the building last year. Did we get what we wanted? Some. What I'm saying is that I, I took a year off and missed it. And, and you're a veteran of this sort of thing. Yes, a veteran of the barricades. If only we gave out Purple Hearts. Purple Hearts? What happened? Is he telling war stories again? Yes, he is. I've heard it before. Meigs talks to the audience. And you will hear a version of it soon enough. And she exits. Nothing really. I forgot to stay hydrated, became delirious, and had to be taken out on a stretcher. Jesus. Hashem. Guess that's why everyone was talking about like you, like you were some sort of hero. We were all very impressed. People exaggerate, comrade. And his mother was so pleased. Word. What I have in mind, you'd be perfect for this. The president has set up an emergency office in the Humanities Building. So he's running things from there? Yes. 
I want you to take some people over and occupy his temporary office. Send him and his staff scrambling to set up another HQ ad hoc? Exactly. Jonah likes his fancy Latin. Amo loqui latine. It's going to be difficult to take all of humanities. There are at least four entrances just on the ground floor and an underground entrance through the tunnels. Public safety also has offices in the basements. It's like they were expecting us to try something like this when they built the campus. You know, they designed it during the 60s. You can drive a tank through those tunnels. Have you even driven a tank? No, I'm not a warmonger. Just look at those tunnels. I'm looking, I'm looking. Just make sure you have enough people with you, Jonah. And what happens if the administration sets up an emergency office in the social sciences building? Take over that one too, I guess. Are we going to take over the entire campus? We'll worry about that when we get to it. I'm worried right now, and so is Jonah's mother. Well, taking over administration buildings is what I do. I'm rock and roll personified. What if they've already called in the National Guard? They didn't last year. Why would they do it this year? Drink something before you leave. There are wire founds in humanities. Linda, do you want to come with? Hell no. If the National Guard is already here, they're going to be guarding the pres president's new office. I don't want to get shot. No one's getting shot. No one's getting shot. You're going to get shot. Blam, blam, blam. Young Jonah exits and older Meigs returns. No one got shot. Meigs, how long do you think this will last? Depends on how long it takes to reach an agreement that allows the administration to keep face. Or for us to be arrested or shot. This is the only building they can't enter through the tunnels. Or can they? Jonah is a tunnel rat and knows where all the entrances and exits are, but now he's gone. What if there's a secret tunnel? Some student might go down into the basement looking for wine casks or buried bodies. Wine casks or buried bodies? Where did you get that idea? I'm taking this class called the Macabre in American Literature. Okay. If there was a tunnel in the cellars of this building, don't you think Jonah would have left that way? You don't believe me. I believe you. You're taking a class. It might be a tunnel so secret that Jonah doesn't know about it. What if somebody who took the Macabre in American Literature goes down there and riot cops start pouring out of the tunnels? They might be down there already. The last occupation only lasted a few days. No one got arrested. No one wants to arrest us unless we do something really stupid like smash up the place. But mom, you never let us vandalize anything. Alec, I was thinking. Yes? You seem to have a good head for this sort of thing. There will be a filing for student senate elections in a few weeks. You should consider running once this is all over. Aren't you running? No, I need to work on graduating next year. Please run for president, Mom. I want to be first daughter. I'm not running for president, and I'm not your mom. You're breaking my heart. Why do you do, why do you want to hurt me so? Scene 2A, between older Meigs and older Jonah. The table is set for a meal as Meigs speaks. Once I became interested in this oral history project, I rang up Jonah. I wanted to get his perspective on the tunnels, brutalist architecture, and that dehydration experience that we keep mentioning. We eventually met up. Was it for lunch, dinner, coffee, wine? 
Oh, pardon me. It was a, it was a few months ago. I, I can check my notes. I'm, I'm sure Jonah remembers. So if I can't find my notes, I can just ask him. Sorry that we haven't done this more often. Left to my own devices, I can be something records. It's all good. Speaking of devices, is that the latest for reporting? Oh yeah, and it transcribes too. So Jude's is following in our footsteps? If you mean attending the old school, yes. If you mean that she has my feet or that we have the same shoe size, also yes. Thanks. It's her first semester. Not sure if she knows what her major is yet. Did you? I didn't. She's a great kid. I will gladly take the credit. So, nostalgia and an empty nest. That's the origin story for this oral history project. Oh, they were heady times. The subjective experience was an ecstatic engagement, looking behind every unlocked door of administration building and imagining how the rooms were used before the house was acquired by the state. Like a haunted house? More like a palace from the 1001 Nights. Soon after we had secured the building, there were only a dozen of us at first, other students poured in and soon the, the internal politics were dominated by debates over whether or not we should broaden our demands beyond the economic and administrative issues of budgets, re re retrenchments, and tuition. Yes, I remember that. A lot of these demands were curriculum related. Were legitimate grievances about society in general, problems that have not yet gone away and seem to be even more on the forefront, sexism, racism, heteronormativity, and a few that we had not even given much thought to, but none of which we knew how to redress in the context of a budget crisis. I still don't know. There always seemed to be a faction that wanted to dictate the ideological context of the content of the classes. Well, I suspect you remember greater detail than you're saying. You're just being cagey. It was a long time ago. I don't remember who said it, what was said, how it was said, whether it was in that particular meeting or some other time. Collectively, we perceived ourselves as having struck a blow against authority, so we were looking to attack any other authority. And you were offended by that impulse? Not exactly. Rather than be concerned with preserving access to education, they were attacking the concept of liberal arts education. So they wanted to dictate the curricula of different classes. It was a revolutionary streak, streak but, an author, but an authoritarian revolution they wanted. This idea that as a bunch of kids, we claimed the right to dictate to scholars what was ideological, what was ideologically acceptable or unacceptable to teach. So you're not naming names? I support this oral history project, but I don't want to accuse a specific someone of having authoritarian tendencies based on one or two sentences vaguely remembered. Part of me suspects that it was just a matter of students, just part of me suspects that it was just a matter of students trying to come up with a noble excuse not to read Plato, Darwin, or Freud. Well, did you have those scruples then? Entirely possible that I responded by calling someone a fascist or, or a Stalinist. Well, you remember better than you suggest. I refuse to incriminate myself. Even if, by chance, they deserve to be called a fascist or Stalinist, I hope they no longer. Yes. Now, <clears throat> there was one thing you didn't write about in your email. What did I leave out? Your martyrdom? A martyr, some martyr I am. I'm talking to you. This isn't the afterlife, is it? 
No, I meant the day you dehydrated and had to be taken out on a stretcher. Not the kid who wants to be the center of attention anymore. Well, I'm not sure you were ever that kid. You were just young and awkward, maybe more awkward than most. You've grown up. Questionable. I'll stop calling you a martyr. Martyrdom cults frighten me. I might have said it once in jest. Someone else repeated it and repeated it incessantly. Anything I can do, she can do meta. She can do anything meta than me. And she did do it meta than you, didn't she? She did. What's your version? I was running on adrenaline. I speak of adrenaline as a metaphor for my psychic scheme at the time. I have no knowledge of my body, of my body chemistry may have been. In some ways, you haven't changed. Thank you. In short, I was high on rebellion and barely slept. There was an anxious anticipation of what could happen any moment. We were gobbling up every possible rumor of how our protest was being perceived and speculating as to what the reaction would be. We pounced on every rumor we heard about the world outside the building. So fueled by paranoia, every rumor inspired a body of speculative interpretation that in turn fueled the next cycle of rumors. There was even a group searching for a secret tunnel entrance in the basement so they could blockade it. Oh, I seem to recall that. They didn't even find an Amatilido. What's that? A sharing, also a, a literary illusion. The macabre in American literature? These were the circumstances in which I simply forgot to maintain my fluid intake. That can send the body into shock. So when did you know something bad had gone wrong? It was the afternoon of the second day. We had probably been in the building for 30 hours or so. I had been annoyed with the ideological tub thumping in the dining room and wandered up to a second floor room filled with all the locked file cabinets, the room by the fire escape. Oh, I know the room you're talking about. It was one of the entrances to the building, so we kept someone posted there at all times. Ooh, I spent some time up there. Felix was there. I stumped up against the wall and said to him, I don't feel well. I, don't, I didn't know Felix well, but he always seemed like a sweet guy. He was exactly the person you'd want there if you absentmindedly sent your body into shock. I have no idea what happened to him after graduation. Maybe he changed his name or maybe he's just smart enough to stay off social media. So Felix asked me to describe my symptoms. He gets me to lay down on the carpet, send someone to notify the EMTs. Then he talks me through what I would later understand to be a guided meditation. I was looking straight up at the ceiling with my attention and focused on Felix. My perception of space had become altered, distorted. So when the EMTs entered my field of vision, my brain created a fiction that they had come through the fire escape, but that makes no sense, does it? No, it doesn't. We must have let them in through the front entrance. Brain creates narratives, even implausible narratives, because that's what they've evolved to do. The EMTs reiterated the same battery of questions Felix had asked me and determined that I needed medical attention, so they strapped me to a gurney and carried me out. I don't remember how, but I probably was taken down the stairs and out the front entrance. There was some chaos owing to the paranoia you described. Halt! Uninformed person! By what authority are you carrying Comrade Granger out on, on a stretcher? Is this an abduction? Is this an abduction? If there was any chance of my becoming a martyr. It was bad. Do you recall anything else? 
between the front door and the ambulance and the driveway, there must have been a hundred or more students on either side of us cheering. Impulsively, I raised my fist into the air and shouted, don't give up the fight. And they just cheered louder. Oh, at that time, everyone loved Bob Marley. I was strapped in, so no getting up or standing for me. It was a powerful image. The administration, faculty, and even the students on the outside saw you carried out on a stretcher and knew we were serious. That's only one interpretation. I don't know if I was capable of deliberate seriousness. The truth was that I was simply a dumb kid. You were a smart kid. I was a smart kid who did something dumb. These days I'm a dumb kid who occasionally says something smart. I disagree. Once I was at the hospital, I was told that I was dangerously dehydrated. They stuck an intravenous tube into my arm, caught me full of saline, and made me eat a bland hospital cafeteria dinner that made the dining hall smell like a Michelin star restaurant. I called my parents, and my friends, Julia and Tom, showed up to take me back to school. Did you know them? No, I'm not sure. Go on. Both fairly political. I thought I was with sugar to have joined this comedia, yet somehow somebody knew to have them retrieve me. Well, how did our generation manage in the decades before social media and mobile phones? Exactly. So back on campus, I pop in at the protest outside to make sure people, to make sure people knew that I was still alive and reminded them to maintain their fluid intake. But I slept in the dorms that night, doctor's orders. Do you remember whose dorm room you slept in that night? What a question. The answer shall not be entered into the historical record. But I guess that my sleeping bag was still in the building, so I must have slept somewhere. Next day, despite my best efforts, I found out that I was subject of many a rumor. One of my professors had heard I was on a hunger strike. My sense is that the administration did not want to see another student carried out on a stretcher. So they were just a touch more willing to make concessions to us. Not bad for some people who forgot to stay hydrated. On to another topic. I'm not ready to think about dessert yet. Well, I am neither an architectural historian nor critic. And I'm an autodidact. And I'm an autodidact. What can you tell me about brutalism? Yes, brutalism. Brutalism. A modernist architectural style that flourished between the early 1950s and mid-1970s. So named for the simple geometric forms rendered in raw, unadorned materials, brick, glass, concrete. Initially, initial popularity coincided with the post-World War II economic boom. I wrote something about this once upon a time. I'll send you a copy. Despite the name, the brutalist aesthetic came from a humanist and utopian impulse to use the latest building technology to dispense with the symbols and ornamentations of the past to start the world anew. Its architects viewed it as a democratic experiment, large common areas and plazas to foster public gatherings multiple entrances and exits so people could freely come and go in any direction of their choosing. Well, how does that relate to the design of our campus? Post-World War II, the rapid expansion of government programs, welfare state, security state, great society in the West, consolidation of the Soviet bloc in the East, it all necessitated new construction projects. Whoa, 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 bucko, big picture. You know, just focus on academia. Veterans were eager to further their education using the GI Bill, so state and local governments found themselves needing to expand existing universities or even build entirely new campuses. Brutalism's simple monumental aesthetics made it inexpensive, and academic buildings continued to be built in this 
style, even as the baby boomer generation started college. Well, this began, this process began prior to the student protests of the 1960s. Notwithstanding the Kent State Massacre of 1970, student uprisings in North America peaked in 1968, by which point most of these campuses were either already built or far along in the planning stages. There was no reason to believe that protests would be a constant American collegiate life. And outside a few isolated campuses like our alma mater, they were not. Brick, window, shutter. Those political protests are just one aspect of the larger shift in culture. In terms of aesthetics, we have to go to 1965. Well, what happens in 1965? Jean-Luc Godard releases a dystopian science fiction film, Alphabelle. Instead of relying on the imagination of scenic designers, Godard went on location into the modernist architecture of Zontan. Other films followed, and these newly constructed brutalist campuses were ready-made location shots of the future. The future is now. Yes, and now is the future. Some of the these films are optimistic, but many provide a dystopian vision of long, minimally lit tunnels and vast unadorned surfaces. The future architecture in which all past eras have been erased in the name of conformity. We internalize this dystopia through our pop culture consumption and arrive on a campus that looks at the future we didn't want anymore at the very time in which we were engaged in a humanistic study of the past and exploring our individuality. So even though these massively imposing structures make for elegant architectural subjects of photography, when we live inside them, they manifest as the antithesis of nearly everything important us in that moment of our lives. But what about the tunnels? Since entire campuses were being, built, were being built at once, it was possible to cut costs by building centralized physical facilities, heating, cooling, air, water, and electricity. Consequently, they could be connected through a subterranean network of tunnels. One could drive maintenance and delivery vehicles through. The students, though, we could use them for getting around inclement weather. Also fun for cycling, skating, psychedelic explorations, graffiti, pop-up exhibits, and article happenings. But these were paranoid times, enhanced by our consumption of psychedelics, film, comic books, and conspiracy theories. So we imagined secret bunkers from which armored vehicles were to emerge if the history students were called straight. You're saying that there's an economic history underlying the architecture. Yes, there's always an economic history underlying the architectural history. Well, how does this feed into why we were protesting in that exact moment in time? An excellent question. Well, thank you. I came up with it myself. After the baby boom came Generation X. X marks the spot. Our generation. AKA the 20 nothings. We are a much smaller demographic group than the boomers, so there were fewer tuition-paying students. Meanwhile, there is a resurgence of political conservatism, meaning a declining interest in affordable quality education. Legislatures cut taxes, tuition goes up, construction slows down, basic maintenance ceases, faculty wages don't keep pace with the cost of living, tenure system begins to erode, and eventually we're camped out in one of the few structures on, on campus that wasn't built in the brutalist style. Because we were once romantics. Flirting with me? Scene two, Meigs Older addresses the audience. I haven't decided whether you and I are friends yet, so it's none of your business whether or not I was flirting with Jonah. I don't even know if there's, if it's any of his business whether or not I was flirting with him. 
I, I did, however, invite the weirdo over to dinner a few weeks later. <laughs> he brought a literary illusion. I mean, wine. I mean, sherry. I mean, an amatillado. I mean, a literary illusion. I pulled out the archive box and we did a dramatic reading of the minutes from the meeting we discussed in our previous dinner. Was it lunch? If different actors are playing Meigs and John at different ages, then all four actors read the following lines. None of these represent a consistent character. They are simply reading words from a document. Meigs and Jonah have been drinking in a Montiato and should react accordingly. Revolutions in Western thought must be purged from the curriculum. More thought from the East. From the North, from the South, from the Up, from the Down. Do we even have enough professors qualified to teach Eastern thought? Fire the Eastern thinkers. Fire the Western thinkers. This protest is save our departments from entrenchment. How are we going to get the faculty support if we're demanding they be purged? Why do we have to read the Bible in class? It's an oppressive document. This isn't church. It's part of the Western canon. Everything we read references it. It's a Middle Eastern text. If you're against it, you're a racist and an anti-Semite. Well, what about Plato? Another dead white dude. Greek, so he's a dead olive dude. Also, probably gay. Why do we have to read Shakespeare? We had him in high school. Boring. But I'm a theater major. <clears throat> the HMS Beagle was a ship in the Royal Navy. So Charles Darwin's voyage was a project of British imperialism. We have to take a stand against the imperialistic ideology of evolution. So you don't believe in science? I don't believe in imperialism. I demand anti-imperialist science. Our professors must sign pledge to be anti-imperialist. And anti-capitalist. And anti-patriarchal. And anti-stop and anti-statist. But we go to a state school. Sigmund Freud, a man with a cigar talking about penises and dreams and incest. I don't want to study penises in college. Why can't we study vaginas? Why can't we dream about vaginas? Well, why are you writing this down? Are you a cop? Are you a spy? Oh, do you work for the FBI? Don't write that down. We don't want them to know we're on to them. Stalinist? Fascist. Stop writing that down. Respectfully submitted to whoever, whomever, is running this mess. Scene three. Meigs again picks up her copy of the special emergency issue. <laughs> that was fun, wasn't it? Now, let's get back to this editorial that I wrote. When legislators cut education funding, they passed the buck to the chancellor of the state university, who in turn passes two or three quarters to administrators of the individual campuses to balance budgets by raising our tuitions, freezing professors' salaries, terminating untenured professors, and even entrenching whole departments. Meanwhile, administrators protect their own salaries and even have the gall to expand their support staffs. All those years ago when I wrote this, 
I did not grasp that was that the, what I did not grasp was that the buck being passed wasn't a US dollar. If it was, then the legislature would have, would be taking the buck from the chancellor who in turn would be covering the shortfall by collecting coins from campuses. But that makes no economic sense. What I have since learned is that passing the buck comes from the French, buac émissaire, which translates as scapegoat. So the buck stops with the person who gets the blame. That is Jonah-level pedantry. Maybe I'll stump him next time I see him. Now, back to the second annual administrative building takeover and slumber party. Have you slept? Not certain. Took a few minutes. Just looking too much fun. Remember the last takeover? Remember how at the end of the first day we collapsed in a pile in an alcove like a litter of exhausted kittens? Meow, 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 meow. No. All I remember are the endless bowls of spaghetti. Noodles are endless, too. Who were the other kittens? Randy, Mandy, Leah, and, and you? You in a pile with four women? You dog. Not mixing metaphors. Exhausted kittens who had eaten too much spaghetti. Spaghetti is like string and cats like string. Kittens and spaghetti. I suppose if it, you were, I suppose that if you were a dog, then it would have been more memorable. So the five sleepy kittens were getting comfortable. Well, Franz, do you remember Franz? Hey, hey, mama, Franz. Yeah, hey, hey, mama, Franz. Whenever he said that, I would just wave and say, hi, mommy. Jonah nods off. Wake up, you freak. You were telling me a story. Story? Uh, yes, so Franz shambles down the hall and sees the bunch of us. Litter. We're not bananas. We're not a bunch. We are kittens. We are a litter. You told me not to mix metaphors. A litter of kittens drifting off to sleep in the alcove. So he bellows, hey, hey, it looks like you mamas are getting some shut-eye. How can kittens be mamas? This is Franz mixing the metaphors, not me. How can you be a mama? I am metaphorically pregnant with possibility. I still don't remember this. Did you metaphorically forget to use protection? Remember you will. So Fran settles his bulk down on the floor using his backpack as a pillow and almost immediately falls asleep, blocking the alcove and making the most horrible sounds. This is beginning to sound familiar. So the kittens were awakened by the familiar, by the familiar, yeah. So the kittens were awakened by the familiar, familiarly loud snoring of rumbling Mount Franz. Who's mixing metaphors now? Franz is incongru incongruous, a volcano with the bachelor's degree. He can only be described in mixed metaphors. Did he graduate or did he just disappear? Randy yells for Franz to wake up. So Franz wakes up and says, hey, hey, mama, what's up with waking Franz? Franz always speaks of himself in a third person. You are so metaphorically irresponsible. You're snoring, Franz. Franz doesn't snore, Mama, so Franz is going back to sleep. And so Franz goes back to sleep, and within minutes, he is snoring once again. I'm vaguely remembering. Everyone shouted for Franz to wake up. Wake, wake up, up Franz. Franz! You're, You're snoring. snoring! Hey, Mamas, Franz doesn't snore. If one of you Mamas wants to wake Franz up, it better be for something Franz wants to wake up, wake up for. And so Franz went back to sleep and started snoring again. Wake, wake, up, wake Franz. up, Franz! Snoring. You're snoring! 
How did we get Franz to go away so we could get some sleep? You don't remember? I'm asking you. Well, the Linda kitten, disturbed that her sleep was being disrupted, got up, stood over Franz, and with great determination started beating him with a pillow while shouting, Franz, you cannot sleep here. You snore too loud. <laughs> I remember now. Franz, you cannot sleep here. You snore too loud. Mind you, it was late at night, so I shall not fault her for her grandma. What was wrong with her grandma? She used an adjective instead of an adverb to modify a verb. Nonetheless, she incessantly beat France with a pillow, her hair waving back and forth as she swung her arms, the pillow bouncing off France's head and forearms as he attempted to shield his face from the soft, fluffy attack. I want you to script the movie of my life. Make sure that the pillow is filled with feathers. The best movie pillow fights have feathers. A drowsy young Meigs enters. And Franz shambled off in retreats. Franz, you cannot sleep here. You snore too loud. Jonah, Linda, I love you two like family, but can you stop shouting? I need to get some sleep. Sorry, Mom. Linda wanted a bedtime story. Bedtime story? And maybe a bowl of spaghetti. Hey, hey, Mama Franz and the four little kittens. Five little kittens. You're not a kitten, Jonah. You're the narrator. An unreliable narrator. I am, for I am a character in the story. You can't trust a thing a kitten tells you. Tell her the story. I'm the heroine. Your own heroine? No, I'm the Shiro. You're a sandwich, which is better than the original Greek. Are you talking about Franz and his damn snoring? Yes, Mom. What is it with you and Franz, Linda? Do you both come from some village where people say mom instead of you? No, mom. Let me tell you a story. Last year at the last building occupation, I was keeping the night watch on the fire escape when Franz stuck his head through the window and said, hey, hey, mama. And before I could say more than hey, hey, Franz, he squeezed through the window wrapped in a blanket sits down on the chair on the fire escape and fell asleep right there, blocking the window. I was too afraid to climb down the ladder in the dark, so I was trapped between the railings and Franz. And that snoring kept the sun from sleeping soundly below the horizon line. So even the sun had trouble rising in the morning. Believe me, I was there, and I should kill both of you for that. Even the sun couldn't sleep. Let me tell another story. Once there was a student radical named Meigs, who, driven mad by nothing but carbohydrate-packed days of spaghetti, spaghetti and constantly interrupted sleep, awakened in the wee hours of the morning and, thirsting only for sleep and vengeance, set out on a mission to kill you both for sending Franz out to the fire escape last year. I was recounting a fairy tale, not a revenge tragedy. Fairy tales can be quite bloody. You of all people should appreciate that. Ah, at least you didn't need to go to the hospital for dehydration. We can send you to the morgue this year. Trade your gurney for a body bag on a slab. How many times are you going to tell that one? I like the one with Franz much better. Are we repeating ourselves? Yes, we do seem to be caught in a loop. The eternal return of the same. Now, Meigs had sworn a vow to the sun that she would avenge their interrupted sleep. And for a year, Meigs and the sun conspired. The sun promised to remain below the horizon so that the deed would be done under cover of darkness. And Meigs ambushed her victims with the only weapon within reach, 
a deadly pillow. We too were armed with pillows. A playful fight breaks out amongst the three with pillows and bedding. And they fought and fought, and although Meeks was outnumbered, she was evenly matched. Don't blame us. You were too chicken to climb down the ladder. I did when the sun finally came up. Chickens climb ladders? I'm not a chicken. I'm not a kitten. What? I'm not a dog. He's a banana. I'm not. That's not what I heard. <laughs> Who did you hear that from? Stop mixing your metaphors. Four, older Meigs and older Linda. <clears throat> Linda and I got in touch over social media. She invited me out for drinks. <clears throat> you, look, you look great, Meigs. I miss the old school. Have been, have been back on campus recently? I attended a reunion. I forget when. I lose count of the years. I'm terrible at counting. I think you were there. It was a while ago. You should calculate the tip. I always leave way too much or way too little, depending on my meds. My daughter goes there now. A lot has changed, but you can still recognize it. Aren't you going to ask me what meds I'm on? I'm sorry. Would it be better if we went somewhere else and not drink? Maybe eat something? I'm good for now. Well, I am working on an oral history project about those times we occupied the administration building. Those were fun. They all blurred together for me. I don't remember how many times we did it. It seems like we were always doing it, about to do it, or had just done it, except when we were doing other things. I should have majored in it. If I ever needed to pin something down for a specific semester, I would just act, ask Jonah. Are you still friends with him? Oh, I bump into him every now and then. Reconnected recently at a wedding and we met for lunch a few weeks later. Or was it dinner? Anyway, he helped me a bit with my research. Still weird, but he's mellowed out a bit. Don't you think that the way he tells that the story that he makes himself out to be the hero? He's outgrown that. I don't really speak to him a lot anymore. I have no idea if he's happy or sad. Well, maybe he's experienced depression. I don't know. That's too bad he and I don't talk because I think I can get him something for that. Well, he seemed fine when I last saw him. Is there something you need to unload? Plenty but I can provide a friend and family discount. Just when the shopping. <laughs> Did he mention if he's still angry with me? We lived together for a while and I might've stiffed him on the rent. Might have. Don't recall him saying anything about this. And also the utilities. I might've, I might've also stolen his comic book collection and some music. Now he's some sort of screwed up public intellectual, isn't he? He has these new friends who are all a little smarter than him, but they still let him write stuff for their magazines. Uh, well, I think those new friends are called colleagues and editors. We were younger then and we've all changed over the years. Not, I haven't changed. I'm just the same. My daughter, Jude's, she reminds me a little of him when we were all around her age. The way her mind draws associations fascinates me. I am looking forward to seeing how this year will change her. Really? You mean that you and Jonah? What? Me and Jonah what? 
If it's supposed to be a secret, I won't say anything. Am I the first to figure it out? I didn't suggest anything that needed figuring out. Please. You said your daughter is so much like him. How many years have you been keeping it secret? I was only using Jonah as an example since you remember what it was like back then. Was it a rendezvous at someone else's wedding or an after lunch siesta? Have you shown him your archive box? Has he left anything in your archive box? Linda. I heard stories about something happening on the president's desk during the occupation. How many years ago was that? I'm bad at math. Does he know? Does she know? Meigs addresses the audience. Unfortunately, I am sufficiently vain about my age that I was reluctant to tell her how bad her math was. Speaking to Linda. This conversation has become weirdly inappropriate. Weirdly inappropriate. I should put that on my business card. Well, what did you say on your, what did you say your business is again? Mm, that would be telling. So what do you remember about the takeovers? What I remember is that in between building occupations, new people I didn't recognize would show up on campus. Do you mean new students? We got new students every year, every semester. New students with funny shaped heads? Yes, I think schools are required to admit new students with funny shaped heads. New students asking questions and taking notes? Students were asking questions and taking notes? How strange. Students who work for the SCP Foundation. ECP is fictitious. My daughter writes fanfic. More like documentation. How do you know your daughter isn't one of them? How do you know that she's your daughter? Do you even know how childbirth works? <laughs> they have technology we don't even understand. What about the men in black? Are you or have you ever been an extraterrestrial? Metaphorically speaking? Scene five, the older me addresses the audience. Linda, as you can guess, provided me with no insights, demonstrating only a desire to provoke, confuse, and claim not to remember. Though that part might be true, it occurred to me that she was just looking for an excuse to go out for drinks. Meigs continues reading from her archival copy of the brick. So, almost annually, economic downturns and changing political fortunes create a new budget crisis for the state university. As students, our options are to vote, to protest, or to do nothing. For most students, voting is boring and happens only once every two years. And protest, however vis visceral, as anyone who participated in past administrative building occupations can attest, is largely symbolic. The administration building several days into the occupation, the aftermath of the pillow fight is still in evidence. So how long has this occupation been going on? Um, a month? Four days, I think. No, five days and four nights. Seems like longer. Do you think it'll end soon? Sometime soon. 
finals begin in a few weeks and then there's the end of the semester and commencement. Commencement? Are you ushering at commencement? Yeah, it gives me a few days to pack before heading home. A few extra days to party with the soon-to-be graduates. It will end sometime, just as with the last one. What's your algebraic equation for keeping track? Like, administration building takeover x times negative 1 squared? Your math thinks. It's administration building takeover x plus 2. I'm bad at math. Alternatively, the second administration building takeover that Linda and Jonah remember. I don't even remember this one. It's settled into a regular normalcy. I haven't even missed a class. You're just trying to make me feel guilty. Do you normally skip classes? Doesn't everybody? Young Alex and young Meads enter. Linda, Jonah, we have an announcement. We have concluded negotiations with the administration. Over? Tomorrow morning at 9, we're to have a ceremony formally returning the building to the administration. So, we need to clean up this mess. Yes, Mom. Are any of our demands met? We came to an agreement on principles. They've made a commitment to advocating our position to the Chancellor, Board of Trustees, State Legislature, and the Governor. We're all on the same side now? We came to an understanding on tuition and protecting faculty position. In writing, no less. I would like to make another announcement. Yay, another announcement. After this experience, I decided that I'm going to run for president in the student senate election. I hope I can count on your support. I'm going to head upstairs to spread the news. Young Alec exits. Was a conveniently timed exit. This happened last year, didn't it? Everything is repeating. The eternal recurrence of the same. You said that before. Less nostalgia, more cleaning. But mom, nostalgia is all I have. You can be nostalgic while cleaning. From a certain perspective, maybe we were on the same side all along. That makes no sense. We kicked them out of their building. We won, I think. Thinking about this ever since day one, from the moment I was sent to take over the humanities building. Oh no. When did this happen? Did that happen last year? It happened this year. It happened last year, I didn't do it. It happened in previous years, I didn't do it. We don't know exactly which administration building takeover this is, so let's call her Shirley. Shirley, the administration building takeover. We're definitely repeating ourselves. We're calling it administration building takeover X plus two because I'm not calling her Shirley. Sexist, I'm calling last year's Ethel. Stop, I wanna hear what Jonah has to say. Finally, someone admits wanting to, to wanting to hear what I have to say. You're siding with the gym to erase the history of Shirley and Ethel? The logocentric stratagem? You're a deconstructionist now? I thought you were a second-wave radical feminist. I am always evolving. I'm just trying to get Jonah to tell us what happened. The historical record? Her historical record. Alex sent you to take over the humanities building. Hysterical record. Direct from the uterus, Mom. Alec had heard rumors that the administration had set up temporary administration office in exile there. Yes. 
We've had our negotiations in that administration office in exile. So I took a team to investigate. He was right. They had computers and phones already set up. Sort of like a bunker if you could put a bunker on the second floor. No. Yeah. Yes. So I asked the president to vacate the premises and that we were taking over that building as well. No. I would have loved to see his face. We had a parlay. It was very interesting. You had a parlay with the president? Yes, a parlay. When foes exchanged words. When foes exchanged words under a flag of truce. I know what a parlay is, but you were never on the negotiation team. Parlays are delicious. Did you bring the flag or did he have one in his bunker to lend you? What I'm saying is that maybe we're not enemies, but we play opposing parts of a greater whole. How is that not being an enemy? What did he tell you? I was a little surprised by what he told me. Basically, he needed us here in the administration building while he, in turn, well, he was in turn negotiating with the chancellor's office. What? He wanted us in this office? No. Yes. And as I was speaking to him, I had this epiphany. I was like Prince Aruna on the eve of battle. What? Bhagavad Gita. It's better in the original Sanskrit, I'm told. Jonah is going to ad-lib Tristis on some obscure 1970s prog rock concept album that he discovered at Vinyl Solution. If it's so great, we can just light it up and spin it for, uh, he, he can just light up and spin it for us in his room. The Bhagavad Gita is not a 1970s prog rock concept band. It's an episode from the great Hindu epic, the Mahabhatara. Thank you, I read it in the seminar. My parents were hippies. And for three or four years in the 1970s, they decided we were going to be Hindu. Does this mean Jonah is your dad? Linda is probably correct. There were at least a few 1970s prog rock albums inspired by the Gita. I love being correct. So why don't you stop being so pretentious and tell us what happened? Mom, if Jonah's your dad, does that make him my grandpa? Stop being a freak. I'm not your mom. But didn't you say that Jonah's not your dad? God, my family is so messed up. The president represents the school administration. So to us, he's the personification of the authority against which we chafe. So we blame him for budget cuts and tuition hikes. But why would he want the budget cut or the tuition hiked? That does him no good. He needs us here, occupying the administration building, sleeping under his desk. Having sex on his desk. You did? With who? With whom? Confidentiality is a virtue. Clean it up by tomorrow morning, you hear me? Anyway, he needed us having sex on his desk because then he could make his case to the chancellor, to the legislature, and to the governor that balancing the state budget is, that, balance, that balancing the state budget on the back of the state university is unacceptable. Is that a new pickup line? Hey, baby, let's do it on the president's desk to stop tuition hikes. Stop it. You're embarrassing him. You're the one who should be embarrassed. I will neither confirm nor deny suggestions that I am party to anyone having sex on the president's desk. I will also neither confirm nor deny if I watched other people who were having, who were party to having sex on the president's desk, or if it was really hot, which if it did happen, it was so hot. You're embarrassing him. It's the only way to shut him up. First, you asked him to tell you a story and then you want him to shut up. I love you, Linda, but you're nuts. I want to hear what he has to say first. 
But it's not a story about me. The sex is hypothetical. I don't know if he actually wants anyone having sex on his desk. I think you underestimate the period interest of a college administrator. Professor of comparative literature. Professor of comparative literature. That's a code word for pervert. You are so naive, Jonah. Suppose that he is into that. You don't choose your libido, your libido chooses you. The point is that he needed us occupying the building to help dramatize the situation when he talks to his superiors. You weren't supposed to be there. Stop! You're embarrassing him! At no point have I claimed to have, se to have had sex on the president's desk. You shouldn't have been in the humanities building. But I have classes in that building. Alec shouldn't have sent you to take over the building. No. We have to keep up appearances whether or not they match the facts. It occurred to me that, this, that his staff must have known we were going to occupy the administration building days in advance. They were prepared. They let us take over. So how did they know? You aren't supposed to know. Meigs knows something. You knew all along that the administration knew that we were planning an occupation. They had a hand in it. I wouldn't say they had a hand in it. What would you say? Swear us to secrecy. You have to tell us. Talk, but we're going to seek you out every night for the remainder of the semester to reenact the story of Franz. And you shall sleep no more. Franz does murder sleep. Okay. I was talking to the Vice President of Academic Affairs about the upcoming budget negotiations, and he said that this would be an ideal time for some student protests. So you started putting feelers around to see who was in it. Different administrators were dropping feelers with various student activists over a couple of weeks. I was not the only one they spoke to. Because we're considered the most radical student body within the state university system, simply injecting the idea into our discussions increases the likelihood that we take the dramatic step of occupying the administration building as we did last year. Bingo. Was his name, oh. So we were conned into this? Oh, I feel used now. You had a hypothetical sex party on the president's desk and you feel used? We're not walking out of this building with none of our demands met. Maintaining your moral purity isn't going to pay some other student's tuition come fall semester. Meeks does have a point, and you can't claim sainthood. I refuse to be judged by your patriarchal moral code. Jonah, I know you aren't going to keep your little adventure in the humanities building secret forever. Are we going to induct him into our secret society, Mom? Our sisterhood is powerful, and we'd be ma making men's history if we let him. Alec already asked me not to tell anyone, but as the occupation is about to end, it really can't hurt if I say what I know now. Just keep it under your hat until next semester. Promise? Promise. So, we're forgiven? For having sex on the president's desk? Yes. For Franz? No. I didn't. Deny it all you want, monkey boy. I can't believe you would want to keep that secret. Monkey boy? Were the administration in on last year's takeover? Last year, I think we took them by surprise. They were only expecting a sit-in, so I don't think so. They surrendered because in the end, they just saw it as working to their advantage. I wonder why the administration didn't put a feeler on me. Hi, I'm Jonah. I was the hero of last year's building occupation. Worship me. I don't talk like that. First, nobody put a feeler on you because you have no patience for attending the sort of meetings that would have made the administrators consider you a serious person. Secondly, 
you would have had an epiphany and felt the need to share it with everyone who would listen. Yin and yang. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys. He's getting all gender normative on us. Young and old, good and evil, unity and dichotomy. Here comes the epiphany, counting. Five, four, three, two, one. Listening not to me, but to the logos, it is wise to agree that all things are one. I'm not listening to you. Somebody say it. All things are one. No. No? It was better in the original Greek. You can shut up now. Scene six. The older Meigs and older Alex converse by telephone. Last week, Alex agreed to speak on the phone. So you wanted to talk to me about an oral history project. Yes, on the administrative building takeovers and subsequent fallout. Interesting. I don't know how many details I remember. What is it for? Well, I was digging around the archive box that I kept at the brick, and I became interested in revisiting, uh, in, uh, interested in revisiting the story. Yes, but why? What are you going to do with this information once you collect it? Well, I haven't quite decided. Create an archive or mainly maybe some sort of exhibit or documentary project for the library. Uh, we'll maybe use it to apply to a degree program. Right now, it's just kind of a nostalgia trip. <laughs> I can spare a few minutes. You want to record this, I expect? if you aren't already. Oh, yes, thank you. Now, how did you get involved? The budget crisis was something that affected everyone. There was an opportunity and a desire for direct action, and I thought I could provide some organizational focus. Well, why did you believe that you were that person? To be candid, most of our peers were a bit erratic to focus on deliverable goals. Something like half the student body was enrolled in one of the arts programs. If I remember correctly, not necessarily the people equipped to lead negotiations. Uh, I can look up the enrollment numbers. You and I were both in negotiations with the administration. Now, what were your memories of that? Starting on the second or the third day, we regularly met with the president and various vice presidents and deputies and ombuds, delivering our position, listening to their counter positions. I think I kept a journal at our negotiations, but I have no idea where it is right now. Well, I would appreciate taking a look if you find it. Yeah, I recall we would meet with one in the morning and one in the afternoon. and. I got the impression that they were taking turns to see which approaches would get us peacefully to end the occupation. We were doing the same, and they were jockeying to take credit for getting us to surrender the building. Do you think they were working at cross purposes? There were likely some professional rivalries. Why wouldn't they want to stretch things out? so they could take credit when a colleague failed. These are people with careers. Either they wanted to move up 
within the state system or more laterally, taking an equivalent but better paying job at a private college or university. Mm, I had a similar thought. I'm also sure that they had they were sharing notes on us. I have been in thousands of similar meetings since then. So unless I have notes to jog my memory, they all sort of melt together. They were checking us out. We were checking them out, deciding who we wanted to negotiate with. This is normal when negotiating with a divided authority. You have to assume that they were looking to change their places within their own organizational hierarchy, even if they were ostensibly working together to pacify us. Oh, I should look into their careers in subsequent years. One thing I remember is the president liked to offer cups of apple juice. Oh, I remember that. He didn't keep liquor in his office either. After meeting all the people in the administration, I discovered that I had enough of a rapport that I could work with them. And that's why I decided to run for the president of the student senate. Did any of them encourage you? A lot of people encouraged me. If I recall correctly, you were one of them. And once elected, I think I maintained a good relationship with the administration. Not that that mattered to you and your friends at the brick. I didn't call on you to settle scores about something that happened decades ago. No offense, but if I may speak off the record, I'm going to ask you to stop recording, so if you so please. Of course. At this point, I stopped recording. Or did I? Always, always archive, preserve for, for posterity. So with what follows may be a reconstruction from memory rather than a transcript. Letting that nut job, Jonah, write about student government was just the beginning. Your predecessor hired that nut job as the financial clerk over the summer semester. And as I recall, that nut job uncovered problems that he entrusted you to address at the beginning of your term. Maybe you were tight-lipped about what you were doing, but he felt you weren't addressing it. So he came to me. I tried to talk him down. I got to arms, but what was her name? Oh, I can look it up. To try to mediate with him over lunch, but he was just relentlessly gunning for me and everyone else in the Senate leadership. And then he wasn't. Well, most likely he got bored. No follow through. Well, after a certain point, none of you would talk to him. Can you blame us? Politics requires the building of relationships. He didn't build a relationship. No, I suppose not. But he was entertainingly gonzo. <laughs> he calmed down a lot. He's an art critic now. I heard something about that. Writing articles about people who make no real contribution to society. To be read by other people who make no real contribution to society. I respect that you're a serious person, but you're surround, you've surrounded yourselves with people who only involved are only involved to be entertained. You got your revenge on my whole gonzo crew the following year. Revenge? 
You mean the free press? Oh, a very original name. I remember you called it or Orville. Orville. I, I might have, but it might have been Jonah who said it first. I prefer to change the subject and insist you strike all mention of Jonah Gringer for the record. My point is that you used your position to slash the BRICS budget and then put in a budget line for a second newspaper. Well, if you were going to be gonzo, the free press was going to be responsible. And you're still bitter about it. So are you. Those few minutes I said I had are now exhausted. If you have any further questions, you can email them. And maybe I'll have time to reply. I have something important to do for a paying client. Alex never wrote back. Scene seven. Once again, during the second administration building takeover, the morning the building is to be surrendered, young Linda and young Jonah have finished cleaning up the stage. Jonah, I'm not feeling well. My head hurts and I'm dizzy. I feel like I need a nap. You haven't been drinking, have you? Maybe a little bit. I don't mean booze. I mean booze. Do you drink anything that's not booze? No. What fun is that? Are you thirsty? Yeah, but I finished all the booze. It came in little bottles. Had a lot of little drinks from a lot of little bottles. Oom, boom, 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 boom. My heart is beating fast. Can you get me some more? You're dehydrated. Can I get some help here? Cool. I I could be a commie martyr just like you. No, no, no. You're not going to be a martyr. Now, lay down. I'm with you. What's wrong with Linda? Mom, comrade mom, mom rad. I'm going to be the commie martyr and go to the worker's paradise. I think Linda's dehydrated. Get her some juice or some water and call the ambulance. I'm on it. Young Meads exits. Close your eyes and listen to my voice. You can sit up on your juice box. Yay, juice. But which, by which you mean more booze. No, I mean juice. Booze. No booze, just relax. I went through this and Felix was there for me and now I'm here for you. Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat. Breathe in, feel your legs sinking into the floor. Breathe out, feel your butt sinking into the floor. You like my butt, don't you? Breathe in, feel your back sinking into the floor. When you say my back, you mean my butt. I knew it, you're into my butt. Breathe out, feel your arms sinking into the floor. My butt is awesome. Her name is Alice. Let's just think about your breathing. We can discuss your butt when you're feeling better. You wanna talk about my butt when I'm feeling better? Breathe in, feel your head sinking into the floor. Breathe out. Just sink deeper in the floor. Feel the floor supporting you. Close your head. Still hurts, but now I'm imagining you and Felix wearing tuxedos. Young Meeg returns. Meeg's just got you something to drink. Is mom wearing a tuxedo? Did she bring me a martini? I've never seen you drink a martini. I'm not your mother. But I don't think Jonah will let me have booze. Yes, I'm not letting you have any more booze. I'm gonna help you sit up now. It's not booze. Help is on the way. You're no fun anymore, Mom. And neither is Jonah. He refuses to admit how much he wants my butt. 
Lena drinks. Young Meigs addresses the audience. The ambulance arrived. The EMT showed up and took over. This is Linda. She is reporting sudden fatigue, dry mouth, headache, and dizziness. She says she has had some alcohol, but no other fluids. We've given her some fruit juice. Jonah, you are such a narc. No butt stuff for you. Our scheduled surrender of the administrative building was delayed by an hour as Linda was carried out in a stretcher just like Jonah had been the year before. The students cheered. For the last few weeks of the semester, she was a heroine and as she liked to say, a commie martyr. Not sure how often people had to point out to her that she wasn't dead. Scene eight. I had previously vowed that I would quit student politics and concentrate on graduating after the second annual administrative administration building takeover had come to an end so that the coming year would be my only senior year, not just the first in a series. However, once the fall semester began, I noticed the brick was without an editor-in-chief. That gets us back where we started, when I actually wrote this editorial that I've been reading you. See, eight or nine months had passed since our building's occupation. It was late January, a few days before the start of the spring semester. There was a small number of incoming students going through orientation and a smaller number of returning students there to orient, orient them. We were heading towards the third budget crisis in as many years and I was unofficially skulking about the offices of the brick. Meigs reads more from her editorial. The time for symbolism is past. Occupying a building or staging a sit-in because we did it last year or two years ago or because another group of students did it a decade or two ago is nothing more than a rehearsed ritual. Administrators and elected officials know what to expect. Some of them may have played the same roles when they were our age. But doing nothing does nothing. We need a new strategy. Young Jonah and young Linda enter. Good to see you two. Good to see you too. Middle of winter and working orientation, welcoming incoming students, showing some school spirit. You seem to be up to something. We don't know what it is, but we're here to help. Whatever, anything to shorten the winter break with the family by a few days. That's my cover story because you're my real family. That's so sweet. What do you mean cover story? Looking for spies, mom. Spies? I'm a spy hunter. There may be infiltrators hidden among these incoming students that our naive little Jonah is here to welcome, but I can just, but I could be just as welcoming as Jonah and seduce these spies to our side. So something happened over the break? Well, we were too busy with our final exams and term papers to notice the administration proposed next year's budget. And so right as our grades were being mailed out, the professor's union threatened a no confidence vote against the president. So are we gonna have a third annual administration building takeover? Three. That's right, last year was Shirley, 
This one could be Shirley's younger sister. I'll name her Linda after myself. I'll be pr her proud aunt and she'll be inspired by my example. Aunts have naming rights? It's not a right, it's a privilege and, I take it, and one I take seriously. It comes with many great responsibilities. If you please. Is anyone planning anything? Not yet. None of the usual suspects, present company excluded, are due to be back on campus for a couple of days. Springtime's the best time for insurrection. It's no fun frolicking around an occupied building when the ground is frozen. Thank you, Mr. Voice of Experience. So last year, the Vice President of Academic Affairs got brownie points for negotiating our surrender of the building. The President got the budget he wanted for the school, and the Chancellor ended up looking like he had been forced to negotiate with a college president who had been co-opted by a bunch of hippies and queers. Three cheers for hippies and queers! I love this school. Hip hip hurrah? Hip hip hurrah. Hip hip hurrah. This year, the Chancellor got wise to last year's gambit. Now, each campus administration has been told that if they oppose tuition hikes, then they have to propose cuts to their own campus budgets. The Chancellor hopes to drive a wedge into any potential alliances against him, forcing the administration to choose between solidarity and self-preservation. Bingo. What's his name? Oh, what a simple machine. Chancellor Bingo? A wedge is a simple machine. Meigs hands a document to Jonah. So does anyone want us to take over the building again? Not the administrators. The strategy may have outlived its usefulness as far as they're concerned. Though it's hard to tell with Sheldon. I think we amuse him. Pervert. He seemed quite amused by my Georg Wilhelm Frederick Hegel costume. I told you he was a pervert. Maybe we should think about what we want to do. Well, there's no party like... An administration building takeover and slumber party. Do you want a party or do you want to be effective? But spaghetti dinners, spaghetti lunches, spaghetti breakfasts. No sex on the president's desk. You hear me? Aw, Mom, but he likes it. He's a pervert. Don't tell her if you don't tell her. Don't tell me if it comes to that. Somebody will. I'd like to prefer to suggest new tactics. Um, the economics and mathematics departments? Not like there are a lot of econ and math majors at an art school. We're not an art school. We're a liberal art school. Econ and math are as important as music and dance. People we're dealing with have ability to outmaneuver disgruntled students as part of their job description. Maybe we need to be a little wiser about this. Students divided will always be defeated. I hate that chant. Is there even a language it rhymes in? What do you say we propose an alternate budget? Do we have to keep econ economics and math? Drawing up an alternate budget requires econ and math. I hate math. That's why I let my nieces Ethel Shirley and Linda Jr. do it for me. What I noticed here is that you can pay the salaries of roughly four and a half tenure track junior faculty members on a college vice president's annual salary. That makes Meigs a grandmother. I am not your mom and I am not the grandmother to your imaginary nieces. I can't believe you would disown your own flesh and blood. Imaginary flesh and blood. Looks like there's a budget line for a vice president of development and that the post has been empty for two years. Why is this post even the budget? Because they want to hire someone for the position next year. 
So they're laying off professors because they might hire a vice president? I take it that the administration isn't taking any cuts. Hence the threat of a no-confidence vote. So we cut the non-existent vice president of development from the budget. We can save the economics departments. Good thought. Now, how do we save the mathematics department? Must we? If we insist we let them cut math departments at other schools as well. Any chance that the student senate will take a stance? I haven't spoken to anyone yet, but we're going to have to mend our bridges with Alec and his new order. Maybe we'll be able to force their hand to take a position. Young Alex enters. Young Alec, thank you. Yep. Well, hello, Meigs, Jonah, and uh... Linda. We were cooped up together in the building last spring with one of my nieces. You don't remember? What? I was last year's commie martyr. You're the one who pulled a Jonah. A Jonah? It's what you're known for. How might we help you, Alec? Someone had told me that you were here, but I was thinking that that can't be possible because the semester hasn't begun yet, and as an organ of the student senate, the BRIC isn't authorized to spend money in between semesters. But here you are, behind the scenes, talking about burning bridges and forcing people's hands. I think we're operating under some misconceptions. Firstly, we're not an organ of the Student Senate. We're a publication that is funded by the student activity fee administered by the Student Senate. Our charter gives us editorial independence. Secondly, surprise, we're planning a special edition. Thirdly, suck my left one. It's an organ of my student body. So what are you doing here, Mr. President of a Student Senate not authorized to spend money in between semesters? It's my role to welcome new students. There's a budget line for that. It was authorized last year. What about you? That's what we're doing too. Who are we working for, Jonah? Student Affairs. Student Affairs? Aren't we against them? Not at the moment. Soon enough the semester will begin and once again, we'll, we will be in opposition. For everything, there is a season. Winter, it's winter. And a time to every purpose under heaven. It's better in the original Hebrew. Fourthly, a time to suck my right one too. It's also an organ of my student body. Suck it, the Bible says so. If you're planning on publishing an issue before the semester begins, you need to stop. Regulation of time in the modern world is a fascinating topic. Before, after, semesters, school years, hours, schedules. Why is Jonah philosophizing when I'm not high? How is he even capable of philosophizing when he's not high? What, is that a superpower? Hush, Linda, the grown-ups are talking. Oh, Mom. Did the admin tell you to shut us down? No, this is about procedure. You, of all people, know that we have to check every expenditure with the College Foundation. Procedural quibble. We're planning an issue, meaning we are not spending money. We are planning to spend money. Make sure that that's the case. When I was still in government, I wasn't an administrative pawn. I'm not a pawn. I'm the duly elected president of the Student Senate, and I have responsibility. Black pawns, white pawns, it's all the same chessboard. 
then I'll expect you to respond accordingly once the next edition comes out. We'll see how quickly it comes out. Young Alex exits. You two remember what was just said in case we have to run a story about interference. Older Megs addresses the audience. We did run a story about Alex's attempt at interference. This emergency edition of The Brick lays bare the damage that the administration would do and proposes an alternative budget that preserves the mission of the university to educate, to innovate, and discover. Jonah, before I lay this out, would you proofread it for me? Of course. Scene nine, epilogue between Meigs and Linda Older. Off the record, could have ended the story there, could have ended it earlier, but withheld something for it amounts to speculation and editorializing that would have been inappropriate to include in an oral history project. So I was reluctant, but I'll tell you, you may find it amusing. When I did meet Linda for drinks, I found her increasingly obnoxious. And on account of the drinks, I was feeling increasingly uninhibited. Soon I found myself thinking cruel thoughts that even my younger self knew to keep to herself. So, Linda, do you remember the last day of the second building occupation? Yes, that was the day of my commie martyrdom. You're still alive and we weren't communists. Whatever, everyone saw me carried out on a stretcher and the administration saw we were serious and gave in to our demands. That's not what happened. No? No. We had already reached an agreement with the administration. You delayed the surrender of the building till later that morning because the EMTs had to carry you out. Are you sure? I think it was the next day. I remember lifting my fist in the air and we were all singing a Bob Marley song together. That was Jonah the year before. Are you sure? Whatever, it wasn't so bad. Just a lot of little bottles of vodka, a couple bags of saline, and I was our beloved revolutionary sweetheart. Maybe I am a little drunk. Do you want to take this somewhere else? Maybe you're a little obnoxious. <laughs> Do go on. Had this thought way back then about <laughs> your so-called martyrdom. <laughs> but kept it to myself. Thinking about what could have been? I kept it to myself for years, Linda. I knew it was fate. It's fate, right? Jonah got a lot of notoriety when he was carried out on that stretcher. Bechdel test. No more talking about men, even if he is your babe dad. I never said he was. You didn't say that he wasn't. Your secret's safe with me, Meeks. You're gonna think what you wanna think, but I'm thinking that maybe you wanted a share of Jonah's notoriety. 
Much ado about notoriety. So I asked myself who gets up first thing in the morning, who gets up first thing in the morning and drinks enough alcohol that her body goes into shock. We were just about to surrender the building and this was your last chance to get attention. Linda got up from the table, took a swig of her glass and threw her drink at me. Unfriended, blocked, I'm telling everyone. Linda exits. Linda stiffed me on the bill. <laughs> you know, I suppose I can let you call me Meeks. That's Meeks with a Z. End of play. <laughs> it is so different on the page than when you hear it out loud. It's like a different play. Yeah. Does anybody have any feedback for Ian? Linda is a nut. She's fun. <laughs> so like why does Linda keep calling Meg's mom? What's that about? <laughs> That's a really good question. Probably because she's the more responsible one, always telling them to clean up and be quiet. <laughs> Well, she's, she's more, I think she's more serious and she like take charge and she's like very maternal about her, her little gonzo group. Mm -hmm. I think that's why she calls her mom. Yeah. I think we would have called her like the mother hen or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I found it slightly confusing because the, we already have the Migs older, who's the mom with the kid. So that's the only thing I would, I would probably flag a little bit, maybe a slightly different name that implies the same thing. Um, it's a very, um, it's nobody in it. None of the characters have any genuineness in them as far as their performance bit. So like, you know, the, everybody was acting, everybody was, was putting on a performance for uh, the purpose of the protest. You know, the, the administrators, the people in it, Linda and Jonah and everybody all put together. Although Jonah seems to be the more reliable. <laughs> so that was interesting, AJ, because as I was listening to it, I thought, could this be like a Christopher Guest mockumentary? <laughs> because yeah. when you think about it, like the stakes are so low. The stakes are so low. <laughs> There's no action. There's no real drama in it. It's just a whole bunch of sort of characters having conversations. There's inside jokes that the audience has no background into, so they're left out of those, which feels like a Christopher Guest kind of thing. Yes. It's um, a great idea. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and so, and so right away I was like, okay, well clearly Larissa has the Parker Posey role. <laughs> <laughs> so then it was like, okay, so who's Catherine O'Hara? Who's Fred Willard? Who's, you know. Right. But I, I did so. think, because there wasn't much conflict really that there's an opportunity there to like add in a couple administrators mm. he's the, an evil character well because you know and just building upon what you said heather 
it, it's almost as if it's not these young people's protest. It is the protest of the school officials who basically said, it's a good time now for you to protest, which is yeah. kind of what makes what they're doing rather pointless in a way, because they're just, yeah. they're just a front, you know? The framing of it was almost like, this is Meeg's self-published memoir of someone who led a very tame life. <laughs> this is not Kent State. <laughs> Right, right. But Ian makes those illusions all the time in it. It's like, no one's getting shot. There's no National Guard. No guns. Because this generation is longing for real conflict that they can sink their teeth into, which I think is what, they're, what, what, the, what the joke is on all of us for it. I'm just wondering if there weren't a few more philosophies that could be shoved into this play. <laughs> <laughs> you mean like the brutalism and the, the well, theory? Well, that's architectural, that I got, but uh, you know, it's like, okay, uh, you know, we had Hegel, we had, uh, and, and you know, unpronounceable ones too. <laughs> we need a few more unpronounceable philosophies to round out this play. <laughs> Some Nietzsche. Well, I, I think nice. Yeah, you totally skip Nietzsche. What <laughs> the hell? <laughs> I think therefore I drink. Yeah. Um, well, I, th I, think, I think it was in the same vein as like, you have like, un especially liberal arts undergrads who are just like, they're name dropping all yeah. over the place and they have no actual understanding of what they're talking about. They're perfectly willing to put it out there. Very true. Which makes very, very true. perfect for the young Jonah role. <laughs> it's just like, whatever. That's Something like, they will never remember like three or four years from now. <laughs> well that's the that's the that's the underpinning of a liberal arts education is that you know a lot uh, you know you know a little bit about a lot a rather lot. than yeah. one subject really yeah. that is true i having a liberal arts degree myself i would agree with that <laughs> oh but but the idea that that nothing was really accomplished and it was all it was all a sham from the start and then everybody shows up and they're so excited look it's a slumber party we're gonna go take over the building you know we, we know those people right we we know those people they're on the way to the protest and then they're going to go to brunch afterwards <laughs> because it's a lovely activity you know they're not there because they really believe it they're there because you know let's all do it let's buy the t-shirt yeah let's, get the, let, let's like is you talks about putting the buttons like oh we don't even remember what that was from but the buttons are here look but, I, i'm with the cause now we but know in their in their defense yeah they're they are very earnest yeah. about what they were doing then they just had nobody to show them how to do it with the correct for the correct reason and for the with the correct passion because they yeah they, they truly believe gail, what they're doing but gail my concern is from a dramatic perspective if they're all just very sincere but the stakes are so low like where's the drama like there's no conflict to then get to resolution so either you, you know so either there needs to be characters that bring more conflict in 
or it has to be like an over the top kind of commitment to a really low stakes scenario, which is like, you know, like the Christopher Guest concept. Yeah, that, that would be the funnier bit. <laughs> So like protesting, you know, or not having jello in the, in the cafeteria or something. There's too much cheese. <laughs> what I think is interesting is that these people are also, or at least some of them are, are news, newspaper people, right? It's, it's a newspaper. So it's almost like there's nothing going on. We need to make our own news. Like there aren't actual <laughs> protesters that we can cover. So let's you work in a news uh, studio in a small town. It was sometimes sort of like that. <laughs> yeah, apparently the the brick was just a vehicle for Meeg's endless table gazing editorial. Yep. She's the worst kind of socialist. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because so I don't know if anyone else did. I did not read it ahead of time, even though you know, I had opportunity to. It, so, but like it, sorry, AJ, if that caused you migraine. Um, because it was funny because it started off, I thought, oh, this is, you know, this is something, this is really important to Meeks and thought that it was going to be, you know, something on the level of Kent State or along those lines. And by the time you just get into it more, you're just like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. And so I think if, my point is if you, if you start it that way and if I were to have come in, come in knowing that, that it's going to be that Christopher Guest, I'd be very curious to hear it again with with that you know with that concept um and to have and if the actor you know if the actors are committed to that what that would look like um so that's what I'm saying. which is interesting because it started off think i started off thinking no this is going to be something very serious and, and interesting i was just waiting for someone to say dude where's my car <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, nobody's produced a corpse there's no like people running around in their underwear i mean you know it's weird <laughs> To add more of that in. <laughs> I well, love we the did fact have that. This. No, go ahead, Gail. I oh, I love the fact that Jonah is so pretentious and he ends up being an art critic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a little too close to home. <laughs> <laughs> I love the the line. Oh, great! So he's writing things about people that contribute nothing to be read by people that contribute, that contribute nothing. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Vincent's line. That was a great line. <laughs> very, very good line. I love that line. Because we're all we're all part of the theater, and this is this is the problem. You know, we create stuff on paper, and then it, other people take it someplace, and other people show up and give us money for it. Well, in normal times, anyway. Uh, I wish <laughs> that was called National Endowment of the Arts. <laughs> I think I think it was better with the younger and the older separated. But if you had the if we had the benefit of a stage and like you know a COVID free world, like you could you you know the the actors would be commenting on the action in front of them, but they're never on stage at the same time. Yeah, which could be a lot of fun. There's one moment obviously where older Jonah is correcting younger Jonah's grammar in the same scene. So mm -hmm. that's the only one where you would ask, you know would would require. Um, I, I, I like the idea of, of, as you said, to have the older actors, you know, and the, the room commentary, and and the and obviously the the conversations are having um, with names. Uh -huh. Talking, the audience bit is great. Like it's it, and that's the other thing that why this makes it 
so perfect as a as a Christopher guest setup is because of the mall when she's talking and kind of giving some commentary and backstory. Well, I do think he means it as a send up. I don't think he he ever meant it to be serious. I think he means it to like thoroughly roast both liberal arts education, liberal arts performative protest, and 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 you know sort of the world of writers where he happens to live uh, for a living. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think he meant it to be that, but in, men, in quite a few sections, it felt very much like Dadaism and, you know, where there was just this string of non sequiturs. And mm -hmm. so it, you know, sort of mm -hmm. lost it, its uh, momentum, you know, as a uh, opportunity to uh, you know, make a statement about the futility of, of this exercise. All I was going to say was, Gail, thank you for that the sun, the moment of, that was an excellent question. You should take it of myself. Because I saw that, that set up, but I was like, oh, I can let me do something here. <laughs> and you did it exactly the way I would have wanted you to, so that was kind of perfect. <laughs> moments. Uh, I like references to the tunnels only because one of the schools I went to was UMBC and they have tunnels and there are a bazillion like stories about why they're there and who started them and you know everything from the fact that it's near a mental institution and it's some sort of I don't know to like it was built in around the protest time so it was like built to have like an underground kind of you know, I don't know safe area or whatever I don't know but <laughs> Um, there are Brazilian theories. I mean, that's part of what it was. And, but there are definitely tunnels. It's confirmed. There are tunnels, but I think they're just utility tunnels or something like that. But uh, yeah. Same, yeah same, same at my school. I went to Mary Washington, so which, you know, was started getting built at the turn of the 20th century. So, you know, if they wanted to add utility stuff, they had to do it underground. There wasn't you know, really an opportunity to do it above ground. And in, there are a million stories about people getting in down there and doing yeah. all that stuff. Do you think that, um, I guess this is a, a question for Ian to get back to people about, um, you have the differential between these people and their younger selves. And their younger selves are so serious about what they're doing or what they think that they're doing. Do the older selves really understand or get the, uh, what, what do I want to say, the absurdness of what they actually, they did in college? Because it's almost like Meeks is, is dragging it back up again, wanting to go down memory lane. But memory lane is rather pointless in a sense. It's a one-way street. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> Feel free to use that in a play. Memory lane is a one-way street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is this just, you know, like taking a crochet class for her or something? <laughs> I think she's reflecting on her empty nest and she's looking back at her life and she's trying to find meaning in all of it. 
Oh, and, oh that's sad. <laughs> well, we all do it though, you know. And her daughter is going to the same place to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's what scares me. <laughs> Scary. Mm -hmm. So she's supposed, Meg's is supposed to be uh, in the true character arc format. She's supposed to be a little bit older and wiser. And, and she's literally older and wiser at the beginning. <laughs> and so we have to get to the new truth. And she already knew the truth at the end. So it kind of violates character arc. But I'm okay with that. If it's a farce. Uh, this is a Just, question for Ian. What, when does this, when did the uh, student slumber party take place? Like what year was it? I, I I feel unstuck in time. It's not clear to me when this was going on. Yeah, there were a couple of references that made it made me think it was much more modern than than I thought it was originally. And now I'm trying to remember what they were. <laughs> they were saying 1990 something something. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, because she didn't want to say her age. Yeah. <laughs> The 90s. <laughs> oh. I remember part of it well. <laughs> 90s. It wasn't that just last week. I mean, you know. No. Oh. Um, uh, these were, uh, Ian has replied the, uh, these were inspired by events from 1989 to 1990, 1992, the year I graduated from college. <laughs> oh, baby. Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah. Elementary school. <laughs> oh, shut up. <laughs> I was in the big working world. Yeah, me too. Well, I will then admit that in 1992, I was protesting, and actually in 1992, I was protesting against ra raising student fees at my state university in California. And I spent a very large number of days out on the quad in the occupation type situation. Um, which had absolutely no purpose, and it never, I mean, it, the purpose was to stop it, but nobody cared that we were out there. We were gathering signatures, we were going to charge the administration building, and it had nothing, nobody cared whatsoever when we delivered the signatures. Here, we have 400 of them. Nobody wants their fees raised, and they're like, yeah, I'll, but they don't, you know, <laughs> it was just awful. The principal yeah. of the university could not care less. The plastic people reference keys that it had to be after the revolutions of 89. Assuming that that was part of your popular culture at the time. Yeah. If you were a college student then, I happen to know about the plastic people, but not because I was in college at that time. <laughs> I was like, God, when the hell was that? I don't know. I mean, all you have to do is look at what students were protesting in 1968 uh -huh. and what they are protesting for here. The plastic people reference key is that it had to be after yeah. the revolution yeah. of 89. Yeah. What revolutions of 89? The oh, Czech the Czech, revolution? The yeah. Eastern European revolution. Okay. <laughs> Well, I think it was because there was a craving for actual revolution. I mean, we had actual things to protest, but none of the things that actually needed protesting were being protested in this. Because it was the eighth, uh, beginning really high to the AIDS crisis, 92. Wasn't apartheid then? That Was that one of the things we were protesting then? 
Were we for it, against it? We were against it. We were against yes, it. I know we were. <laughs> well, haven't you had those moments with people who are like sort of more woke than you are, who are like, oh, no, 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 you can't use that app. We're not, we're, we're not doing that app now. We're, we're not doing the app. We're doing something else. And yeah. then like, you can't do that. You can't eat there. You can't eat that. Don't drink that. We have a whole list of prescribed things we're supposed to do, and there's no way we can do all of it. Ian also just wrote The Fall of Communism, was the other one. Ah, yeah. I don't remember. It was too long ago. <laughs> Something about the Berlin Wall. <laughs> I no, burned I too many brains. Yeah, but I don't, have, I don't have a sense of when it was. That's like 30 years ago, for Christ's sake. <laughs> well, I remember them selling pieces of the Berlin Wall at Macy's. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A little preposterous piece, piece of, uh, of capitalism serving mm. up pieces of communism. <laughs> yeah. So unbelievably ironic. It was so American. Yeah. So American. <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 like, it's like the British stealing the Elgin marbles from, from Greece. It was like, <laughs> we're just ship that off. We're going to sell it to him. We're going to take it. We're going to sell it to you know, dipshit Americans. There's people to come look at it. <laughs> They're gauche enough to buy it. <laughs> yeah, as it turns out. <laughs> Couldn't keep that stuff in stock. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. Um, I appreciate it. It was uh, a lot of fun, yes. and, I, and I really enjoyed laughing with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It was fun. There's some good lines. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> some great, great lines in this. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information about Quarantine Players, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash quarantineplayers. As Shakespeare said in Julius Caesar, if we do meet again, why, we shall smile. If not, why then, this party was well made.